the scripture this morning is Mark 5, 1, 21 through 39. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us, go down, let, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. So what we, what we just read, uh, just heard read, I think that's, yeah, uh, from, from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1, uh, tells us what the life of Jesus looked like. Uh, what would a, a whole day, 24 hours, uh, you know, not with Jack Brower, uh, you know, you know, but 24, you know, 24 hours, a, a snapshot of uh, uh, what would it look like to be walking with Jesus to be around him, to be near him, to see what he does and how he does it, what his life look like. Um, that's what we're given here. I don't know about you, but I really love watching those uh, day in the life of videos. So there's a, a day in the life of, uh, I watched this a couple of years ago, but a day in the life of Rich Froning Jr. when he was, I think at that point, he was two or three time CrossFit champ and he was going for his third or fourth uh, victory, and uh, you know, it just shows him, and he does his seven uh, different workouts in a day, and he eats his big scoop of peanut butter, you know, shoves that down, and then works out like crazy, and uh, it's super motivating. And you're just, you're like, wow, this guy's a beast, and um, you know, this is so cool. And just to see, you know, what would what would it be like to be in this person's shoes, to see what their life was like, um, what happened around them, and uh, 
that's what we're, what we're shown. We're, we're shown some highlights uh, that Mark gives us. Uh, maybe you've, you've watched something uh, like the Rich Froning Jr. videos, you know, Day in the Life of, that gives you a snapshot. Um, but we see, we see um, and someone who's not here, who I was hoping who would be to hear this, um, but I'm sure that there's someone among us who would have loved to uh, watch A Day in the Life of Taylor Swift. So if you get that joke from last week's sermon. Um, okay. Uh, so in today's scripture reading, Mark uh, starts to show us highlights of what it was like to be around Jesus. What did a day look like? So we have this snapshot where at the very beginning, Jesus teaches, and then he goes on and he casts out a demon. Uh, and then he, you know, the next thing we read, uh, he heals, and then Jesus prays. And that's this 24-hour you know, snapshot of what a day in the life of Jesus looked like. So Jesus teaches. That was the first highlight Mark gives us. Uh, and, and the first thing he shows us is, is, is what happens when Jesus shows up to your church. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the kind of thing that would happen, you know. Uh, Jesus comes and he enters this, this church. Now, churches in this time were not called churches. Uh, they were called synagogues. Um, Judaism was still the reigning religion. And uh, Jewish people would meet not on Sunday like we do because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Uh, but they would meet on Saturday, which was the Sabbath, right, the Jewish Sabbath. So Mark 1, verse 21 says, And they went into Caper- Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, what you need to know is uh, Jesus didn't uh, just uh, at random uh, walk into the synagogue and just start teaching. Um, What you need to know is he was was invited. Uh, It was a common practice for local synagogues to invite uh, a guest uh, to come teach. And so he was a guest, and he was, he was invited to, to teach one Saturday. And so he comes, and, and what happens in this ordinary church service is something astonishing, something that surprises everyone there. And now what was surprising is not what he taught them. Uh, what was more surprising is how he taught the people, how he taught them. So the way he opened up the scriptures to them was unlike anyone else they'd ever heard, at least recently. He had, he had this freshness, this vibrancy to his teaching, an energy, a, a direct way of communicating to them, where they really felt, they were convinced that it was God himself who was addressing them. It was God who was speaking to them. And, um, and so they, they respond by, by saying he teaches as one who had authority, not as the scribes. There's a little comparison there. Uh, the scribes were the, the theologians of the day. They were the experts of the day. They, they were the know-it-alls of the scriptures. They knew everything. And uh, they could tell you uh, what all the greats from the past had to say about everything you wanted to know. They were the ex- experts. But in all their expertise, in all their subjects, in all their knowledge, they were dull. And they did not directly communicate God to people. They did not really speak on behalf of God. In fact, their teaching, what it usually did is it, is it would hide people. It would hide God from people. Not Jesus' teaching, though. Jesus, on the other hand, he would open up God to people. He would show them a new and a better way. I'll put this into perspective uh, here. Uh, It's a lot like when you see somebody who does something really, really excellent. Uh, So, just, you know, as we're scrolling through, who who does things really, really well? Maybe it's 
you know, when you used to see uh, Ryan Giggs or, or David Beckham on Man United uh, kick a soccer ball, you know, um, or whatever, uh, whatever sport you watch. Uh, baseball, uh, uh, I can't even think of anybody in baseball, oops. Uh, <laughs> you know, but a really good gymnast gliding through the sky. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, or um, uh, what other sports are there? Okay, I'm not a big sports guy, if you can't tell. Um, oh, LeBron James. LeBron James shooting that basketball, huh? It's pretty amazing. Or uh, Tom Brady throwing that football. Um, hopefully he'll get beat by the Rams in the Super Bowl. That's my hope. Um, but, you know, we'll keep praying. Uh, uh, you don't know what it is, though, about these people, right? What is it? But, but whatever, whatever it is, they, they have it. They have the it factor that makes it so what they do is done with excellence, right? Everything they do is just, oh. And, and that's what Jesus had. He had that it factor when it came to teaching people the word of God. Um, that's how he taught, though. It was eye-opening. And I want to turn this on, on everyone here. Uh, when we hear the scriptures read, when we hear the scriptures taught, no matter who's teaching it, are we shocked and astonished like that? Are, are our eyes opened? Are we excited to hear God's word? Um, I'm not the... I will be the first to admit I'm not Jesus, one. Two, I'm not the best teacher or preacher. I'm not the most dynamic speaker. Um, there are many people I admire and I look up to, um, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, is, is the Bible itself, is it, is, is it astonishing to you? Are you excited to hear it? Um, when you hear it read, when you hear teaching from it, uh, are you aware that it's, it's God himself who's speaking to you and addressing you wherever you are? Um, it's not a magic trick. It's not an act of sophistry. Uh, the word is living and active. It's, a, it's alive. Uh, and, and, and it's active for all those God is moving on. And for example, if every, time, every time you've heard you know, that in Christ, God forgives you of your sins. That's an announcement and a declaration that is about you. That God says that to you. And so, I mean, do you hear that when, when that's said? And, and do you believe that? Do you go, God's saying that to me? Wow. Um, so if we're not awakened when we hear the Bible preached, it means that something's wrong with us, that there's still something we're missing and lacking. And, and what it often means is what we're missing and lacking is, is we're missing out on renewal. We need to be renewed. We have this need to be renewed by the gospel. Like this church in Capernaum, a synagogue, they had, uh, for a long time, just gone through the motions of doing church, uh, which brings us to this next highlight where, where Jesus next casts out demons among them, uh, casts out demons. So there are a lot of churches today uh, that just go through the motions. I thank God that is not my church. I thank God that is not our church, right? This is not a church that just goes through the motions. You're all not going through the motions right now, right? No. No motion. Lots of motion, but no motions. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not going through the motions. This church is woke, right? Everybody, amen? Amen. Yeah, see, let's, let's get amen. We're getting better on the amen factor. Um, but, you know, but a lot of churches uh, are, are more like morgues, right? They, they kind of just go through the motions. You show up, you sit in the pew, you know, you go through the routine, and then you go home, watch football. Uh, that's what you do. Uh, and and, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not talking about music style here. I don't mean fog machines and lights are going to fix that problem. Uh, what I'm saying is many 
churches are spiritually dead. Okay? Spiritually dead, uh, like this church in Capernaum was. So spiritually dead, so not woke, but so slept. Right? That should be a word. Is that, is that a word? So slept. They're sleeping. Uh, that that um, there was a demon-possessed man in the middle of a church service. Right? Demon-possessed man, middle of a church service, every week. And nobody noticed. Nobody cared. And the demons were not even bothered by the teaching that was coming out of that pulpit ever. Right? That's a problem. <laughs> That's a big problem. That means like Christ is not being preached there. That's a big issue. Um, so look with me at verse 23. It says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a young man, or sorry, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, verse 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere. You know, I've been in a church service where uh, two rows in front of me, a man slouched right into his pew as if he had just died in the pew. Uh, I've been in a church service where uh, a man was convulsing on the floor, had, was having a seizure in the middle of the service. And uh, I've been in a church service where uh, I was yanked out, actually. I was sitting in the pew, like, or sitting in the seat, just like everybody here. And, uh, and all of a sudden, somebody tapped me on the shoulder, grabbed me, really. And I turn around and I and like run, basically, because your son's choking on a pretzel, <laughs> suffocating on a little pretzel, got stuck in his throat. And every single time, let me tell you, every single time something like that happens in a church service, right, the atmosphere changes, right? The mood changes. That's what happens. So in this case, in Capernaum, in this church, in, in a synagogue, what happened and what was going on is, is a man was, was, was rudely shouting, interrupted the middle, the flow of the service, right? Rudely shouting loudly, kind of in your face, punch you in the face, kind of a violent, you know, aggressive kind of mood. Um, not like a screaming child. Those are welcome. We want, we want the sounds of, of children in this church. I'm not bothered by that. That's totally different from the, this aggressive interruption of this demon-possessed man. Um, any Lord of the Rings fans? There's got to be some. A couple. So it's like, you know, Gollum rearing his ugly head out of Smeagol, you know, that whole thing. Or, or when Bilbo's talking to Frodo and all of a sudden he becomes Gollum, you know, just, you see that. <laughs> yeah, some people, some people are fans. Look at that. Wow. Uh, so that, that's, that's the kind of thing, though, that, that Mark's describing here. This mood shifts. The atmosphere changes. Things get violent. And everyone's staring at Jesus going, what is this teacher going to do? You know, what's this guest preacher going to do here? How is he going to react to all this? And people are frozen. Uh, this demon, which uh, was a, a created but fallen angel uh, that's rebelled against God, uh, it screams, have you come to destroy us? It says to Jesus. And then it says, I know who you are. Now, in the ancient world, saying I know who you are was a way to exercise dominion, authority over uh, somebody else or something else, right? Uh, it was that, that phrase there is a way of, of trying to subdue your enemy. And so that's what this demon was already trying to do when he says that. And Jesus doesn't let him do that, right? He simply says with full authority... 
and simplicity. He says, be silent and come out of him. That's it. That's all he has to say. And that's exactly what happens, which is quite a scene uh, with the convulsing and the crying and the screaming. Um, But that's what happened. Even, Even demons obey and shudder at the voice of this son of God, at Jesus. Now look, we're all moderns, um, and what I mean by that is we all have a very hard time with the supernatural. We have a very hard time, um, not because our imaginations are too big, but because our imaginations are too small. Right? We want to find the Google answer to everything. We want to ask Siri or Alexa or whatever, what's the answer to this? And what's, you know, we're, we're trying to figure everything out all the time. Um, but our imaginations are small. And I say this because um, this exorcism wasn't exactly all that believable for the audience in Capernaum either. Uh, Sure, there were exorcists alive in the time period. Uh, We have on record that people uh, would go through, uh, you know, all these different incantations trying to pull out demons. They were kind of known as magicians in town, and they'd go around, and they were known for that. But, But there are none on record who are recorded as having multiple exorcisms um, in, in the whole history of the world, of doing this kind of thing multiple times, attributed to the same person. And that's what Mark is attributing to Jesus here. So what I mean by all this is, they would not have gone, oh, cool, awesome. Jesus is here, you know, he's teaching, doing his little teaching act, and then, oh, cool, he's going to, like, pull a rabbit out of the hat, you know, pull a demon out of this guy like every other, you know, popular public teacher does. That was not a normal thing for these people either. It was unique. It was original because something brand new was happening in the world at this time. Something completely new for them and for us. God's kingdom was arriving. The kingdom was coming. And that means the kingdom of, of darkness and, and evil is being shoved out of the way. So that's why when we read uh, through the gospel accounts, um, and we, we just see, we come across so, much, so many extraordinary things, right? Uh, healings and exorcisms, unlike any other time you've ever seen it. All sorts of wonderful new things are happening because the kingdom of light and beauty and goodness and truth is coming. And that means the gospel is going to renew everything. Change everything. Um, so Jesus taught. He casts out a demon. Two things. The next thing he does is he heals. It's the next act that we see. Uh, and in, in, in uh, contrast to what we, um, we see with uh, the more public actions of, of Jesus, right? Uh, he's teaching publicly. He casts out a, a demon in the middle of a church service. Now what we see is, is Mark gives us a glimpse of uh, the private instead of the public. So Jesus didn't just go around healing in front of large crowds of people. Uh, he was the same compassionate, loving, caring, concerned individual in, in, in public that he was in private. He healed in front of lots of people and he healed in front of few. And so it wasn't about the crowds. It wasn't about any of that. It was about what the kingdom of God looks like. See, God's kingdom is going to bring cosmic renewal, big scale, but also individual renewal. A gospel that's for the whole world and a gospel that's uh, for me also. And so what I'm trying to say uh, with this is, is Jesus Christ is the king of the kingdom 
and he's even king over our living, living rooms. Uh, he exercises dominion and lordship and authority over every single square inch of the entire world and cosmos. That's how big, how good the gospel is. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue. He entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So Simon is, is a man who will later... Uh, come to find out, uh, his name is Peter. Um, in, uh, in the Greco-Roman world at this time, people often had two names. Um, my other name, by the way, is Burton. It's another story. You can ask me some other day. There you go. Um, but, but they often had two names. Um, and uh, so, so, the, so Peter um, is, is who Simon's referring to. So Jesus takes uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law's hand Pulls her off her bed. By the way, Peter had a wife and a mother-in-law. So I don't know if you knew that, but this is how we know. Um, so Jesus takes her hand, pulls her off her bed, and, and, and she suddenly becomes totally fine, right? He, she's healed. She's feeling so well that she even makes them a meal, right? Like ready to get, get back to work, <laughs> get back and doing my thing. Uh, and so, so right here we, we, we catch this glimpse of the kind of king, kingdom that this king, Jesus, is bringing, it's not an imaginary kingdom. It's not a kingdom where our, it's just for our minds or just for our hearts. Um, that, that just those parts of our bodies are renewed, but everything is renewed. It's a kingdom that doesn't just make us feel uh, better about tomorrow, as some people think uh, Christians you know, believe. Oh, it's good that you believe in uh, a God up above, and you know, that I'm sure that's comforting for you. No, no, no. It's not just comforting for me. It's, ha- it's, it's the truth, right? It's reality. Um, and God is going to renew us from head to toe, inside and out, and make us fully renewed. Where Peter's mother-in-law went from being bedridden, bedridden, almost dead, and was able to get up and walk and start to serve and love her neighbor. Um, might not sound all that cool if you're a healthy individual, but uh, one day every single one of us gets sick. And then all of a sudden, that kind of renewal sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? A healing that is cosmic and, and complete and personal. And look, it wasn't just Peter's mother-in-law who got healed. This kingdom isn't limited to just a few people, but it's available to many. So look with me at verse 32. It says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Verse 33, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And so, so we're seeing this picture of this kingdom that is so cosmic and expansive and wonderful. It's a kingdom that Jesus is bringing where, where the gospel renews our lives, our communities, and our cities. It's total. The whole city couldn't wait to find healing in this Jesus. But I want to note a problem. Uh, so many of these people were under tyranny and oppression. So many of these people were being led into captivity by the religious experts of the day. So notice in verse 32, Mark Mark says, and this is an important detail, he says, that evening at sundown. That evening at sundown. Uh, This detail is important because 
we see how, how captive these people were to the religion of the scribes and the Pharisees of the day. That these people were so afraid of seeking healing in Jesus that they had to wait until after sundown to go see him. The teachers around them taught that that healing anybody on the Sabbath was a sin because it was considered as work. These were teachers who had no power like Jesus to heal, but they sure exercised and exerted their power to bind up people with their religious rules. Now how this might play out, maybe for you, today, is you might think that you need to clean up a few areas in your life before you're able to come to Jesus to find healing, to find renewal. You might think that there's something that you need to work on. Let me tell you, there is definitely something you need to work on. Right? There's something I need to work on. But don't let that keep you from coming to Jesus for renewal. Let Jesus heal it. Don't try to fix it on your own. See, unlike the religious teachers, Jesus doesn't come to condemn. Jesus won't cast you out if you run to him, dirty or unclean. In fact, he's counting on it. That's why he came. So I want to say something else, because uh, we're talking, uh, for the first time in this gospel, we're, we're getting a lot of uh, chatter about uh, demons, right? Demons and illness, and uh, a question for us to really think about. Um, I, I just want to talk about this really quick. So Mark, Mark wants us to see that there's a difference between somebody who's sick and then somebody who's demon-possessed. That these are two, categorically two different things. Uh, And the takeaway here is that mental illness should not be associated with demon possession, which in the history of interpretation and stuff, sometimes it is. And so I just wanted to point that out. It it should not be. Um, So somebody who who has a mental illness, uh, like we can take uh, Elizabeth Sachs, for example, who had an excellent TED Talk uh, describing her schizophrenia, uh, and she she wrote a, a, a book where she shares... Uh, my, my psychosis is a walking nightmare in which my demons are so terrifying that all my angels have already fled. Now, she describes her condition in, in, in using language um, uh, of being in a demon-like state, um, but that's different from saying a person is demon-possessed. Um, we shouldn't think that or say that or associate um, the two together and heap more trouble on people than they already have. Um, just as a note of sensitivity. Is that clear enough? I don't know. If, okay. Um, for, for some clarification on this topic of demons, um, I used to work for a company where uh, kind of one of my jobs was to, to figure out what is it, what are questions that people have about the Bible, right, um, that, that come up, and what's a common uh, question, and, and what are the answers according to the Bible about that, kind of like Bible answer man type stuff. And uh, all I have to say, uh, a lot of people were curious about the question of, can a Christian be demon-possessed? That was, that was a common question, right? And wondering, is that, what, what, how do we reconcile this? The answer to that question is no. Um, Christians, um, a, a, a Christian belongs to the Lord, right? Um, Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, also in, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, Jesus is described as having delivered us from the domain of darkness, uh, which means we are no longer part of that old kingdom. Um, 
If the Spirit dwells inside of us, there's no room for a demon. What we find is that across the, the Scriptures that if you're in Christ, if you're located in Christ by faith, you can't be demon-possessed. Um, God's promise to protect his children from that. Now, uh, another question comes up, though, because that answers one question, right? But what about people who don't believe in Jesus? What about demon possession? I'll say this. While demon possession can happen still, uh, demonic activity happens in different ways than it did when Jesus first arrived on the scene in human history. Today, demons are busy deceiving people, making it harder for people to actually uh, share the gospel with others, either by fear, intimidation, uh, greater persecution, obstacles to evangelism. They promote sin, sin and evil in the world. I like to think of it as, uh, like, like C.S. Lewis got, got it right with, uh, anybody read Screwtape Letters ever? Or heard of that one? Kind of, you know, Uncle Screwtape, that whole thing. It's kind of, you know, in that way. They're a lot more deceptive, a lot more tactful. Um, what we're reading about in, in Mark, uh, this is a time of intense demonic activity. Uh, because Jesus was about to defeat Satan and his whole host of demons, his army of demons. I've, des- I've heard it described um, like D-Day, right? Like storming the beaches of Normandy. Like this kind of epic um, scene of, of war. A great battle is happening. And so it's a, it's a time of heightened demonic activity. It's war. So when Jesus shows up, the reaction, the demon's reaction, right, that we, that we see recorded in Mark 1 is not, oh, cool, let's sit down and have a nice civil discussion with Jesus um, about all this stuff, right? Instead, no, the reaction is, as verse 21, sorry, verse 24 says, have you come to destroy us, <laughs> right? It's escalated in this, in this warlike imagery of this is a challenge here. This is a battle happening. It's not just like, let's just dialogue about all this stuff. They knew exactly who he was and that this was war and that they were on the losing side of this this battle when Jesus came on the scene. Now, I love how one theologian put this. Um, He described it, and he he says, demons drag their chains with them wherever they go. You think think of that scene of like, you know, like dragging your chains with you wherever you go, that they're they're actually, um, their defeat is imminent. I think it's a good image. Um, they might be able to make life more difficult or harder for people, but they can't overturn the promises of God. So there's nothing to fear. Uh, finally, the fourth thing, uh, this 24-hour snapshot of the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus prays. So we learn above all other things, uh, before everything else that he does, the first thing Jesus does is he prays, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was dark, he departed and went out to a desolate, desolate place And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. So the last thing that Jesus does here is is what few of us might expect for a popular new religious figure to do. At the height of his popularity... Uh, most people will just ride the wave, not Jesus, <laughs> right? He goes off to a desolate place, and he gets back after he prays. When he comes back, he's like, let's go to the next town. Let's go to the next town. Let's go to the next town. I have work to do, right? This is not about my popularity. Um, 
His, his leadership style is different. His source of power is different. The kingdom he's bringing is so different from the kind of worldly kingdoms that uh, the disciples are already being captivated by and concerned for. Jesus, come. Everybody wants to see you. Man, they loved how you healed that guy. Oh, that was so cool how you cured that demon-possessed man. You know, And Jesus is not concerned with that stuff. As if the Christ who was sent by God to save sinful man cares about what everyone else thinks. His whole life for every minute of, of every day was patterned after pleasing his Father who art in heaven. Why? So he could serve us. Why? So he could suffer for us. Why? So he could save us. This is a day in the life of Jesus. And, and, and really, at the heart of it, what, what this day in the life of Jesus shows us and is trying to tell us is that life in Jesus will always and ultimately look like this. That the kind of kingdom that this Jesus, that King Jesus is bringing, is a kingdom of healing. It's a kingdom of power, certainly, but it's a kingdom of, of goodness and truth and beauty. A kingdom of renewal, right, where the sick are made well where the weak are made strong, (laughs) where brokenness, suffering, pain, death are no more. So what a day in the life of Jesus shows us is what what the kingdom of God will be like if you come to Jesus, if you believe in Jesus. This day, this 24-hour day, will become your reality in Christ if you believe in him. Let's pray.